0: Uh, this from the State Department. Good afternoon. We have previously noted our strong concerns regarding Russian disinformation and the likelihood that Moscow might create, seek to create, a false flag operation to initiate military activity. Now we can say that the United States has information that Russia is planning to stage fabricated attacks by Ukrainian military or intelligence forces as a pretext for a further invasion of Ukraine. Blah, blah, blah. The rest is fluff. And uh, roll tape.
1: Uh, okay, well, that's a, quite a mouthful there. Um, so you said actions such as these suggest otherwise, Suggest meaning that they suggest they're not interested in talks and they're going to go
2: ahead with some kind of... a What action are you talking about? One, the actions I've just pointed to. Uh, the what fact, action? What? The, the fact that Russia continues to engage... Uh, in disinformation well, uh, campaigns, you, know, you made an allegation that they might do that. Have they actually done it? Uh, what we know, Matt, is what we what I have just said that they have engaged in this activity, well, uh, in this planning well, hold activity. On a what but, activity. But let me let me because because obviously this is not this is not the first time we've made uh, these reports public. You'll remember that just a few well, weeks I, I'm ago. Sorry, made, made made what report public? If you Thank let me finish, I will okay. tell you what report we made okay. public. Uh, We told you a few weeks ago that we have information indicating Russia also has already prepositioned a group of operatives to conduct a false flag operation in eastern Ukraine. So that, Matt, to your question, is an action that Russia has already taken. it's an
1: action that you say that they have taken, but you have shown no evidence to to confirm that. And I'm going to get to the next question here, which is, what is the evidence that they – I mean, this is like crisis actors, really? This is like Alex Jones territory you're getting into now. Um, what evidence do you have to support the idea that there is some propaganda film in the, in, in the making?
2: Matt, this is derived uh, from information known to the U.S. government, intelligence information that we have declassified. I think you well, Okay, well, where, where is it? Where, where is this information? It is intelligence information that we have declassified. Well, where is it? Where is the declassified information? I just delivered it.
1: No, you made a series of allegations and would
2: statements. Would you Would you like us to print out the topper? Because you will see a transcript of this briefing that you can print out for no, yourself. That's not
1: evidence, Ned. That's you saying it. That's not evidence. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> what would you like, Matt?
1: I, I I would like to see some proof that you that that that, that, that you can show that that. Matt, you have that, been that, that, shows, you, that, that, that you, shows that the Russians are doing this. Ned, I've been doing this for. a I long know that time. was my point. As you, as you, have, you, know,
2: you, you have been doing this for quite a while. You know, know that when we declassify intelligence That's information, we do so in a means. We do so. We do so with I an eye to that, protecting that sources Apple and methods. Is not going to
1: fall. I, I remember a lot of things. So where, where, where is the
2: declassified information other than you coming out here and saying? Matt, I'm sorry you don't like the format, uh, but we it's have declassified- It's not the format, it's the content. I'm sorry you don't like the content. I'm sorry it's you I'm sorry like you are doubting this. the information that is in the possession of the US government. No, I, I, what I'm telling you is that this is information that's available to us. We are making it available to you uh, in order uh, for a couple reasons. One is to attempt to deter the Russians from going ahead with this activity. Two, in the event we're not able to do that, in the event the Russians do go ahead with this, to make it clear as day, to lay bare. The fact that this has always been an attempt on the part of the Russian Federation to fabricate a pretext. Yeah, but you don't have any
1: any evidence to back it up other than what you're saying. It's like you're saying, we think we we, we have evidence, information the Russians may do this, but you won't tell us what the information well, is. That, and then when, when, that, when you're that, asked-
2: that, that is the idea behind when, deterrence, Matt. When, that when, is the when idea you're behind asked, deterrence. And when you're it is asked, our hope that the Russians when don't go forward what with this. And the is,
1: you say, I just gave it to you. But that's
2: not what... You seem not to understand the the idea of deterrence. We (laughs) are trying to deter the the Russians from moving forward with this type of activity. That is why we're making it public today. If the Russians don't go forward with this, that is not uh, ipso facto an indication that they never had plans to do so. Uh, But then it's unprovable. (laughs) My God, (laughs) what is the evidence that you have that suggests that that, that the Russians are even planning this? I mean, I'm not saying that they're not...
1: But you just come out and say this and expect us just to, to, to believe it without you showing a shred of evidence that it's actually true, other than when I ask or when anyone else asks, What's the information? You said, Well, I just gave it to you, which was just you making a statement.
2: Matt, you said yourself, you've been in this business for quite a long time. You know that when we make information, uh, intelligence information public, we do so uh, in, a, in a way that protects sensitive sources and methods. You also know that. We do so, we declassify information only when we're confident in that information. Right now, you if you doubt if you doubt the the credibility of the US government, of the British government, uh, of other governments and want to uh, you know, find uh, solace in information that uh, the Russians solace? are putting out, uh, that is uh, <laughs> that is for to, you to I'm do. Not you what the Russian government is
1: putting out? And, and John.
3: Welcome back to Mechanical Freak uh, from Seattle and New York, I guess now. (laughs) On the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today and tomorrow. (laughs) Forever. Uh, Forever. Uh, (laughs) Unless you do something about it. Uh, My name is Munya.
0: It's so great to be here. How are you doing, Greg? I'm good. Good to be here potting with you, Monia. Good, Of course, of course. Love to listen to a five minute uh, playground fight between an um, an exCIA <laughs> State Department <laughs> spokesperson and an international affairs journalist. Uh t- t- two types of people I uh I don't think we really need.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the two monkeys fighting in the Simpsons <laughs> or everyone's putting bets on them.
0: Uh-huh. I, this is interesting though. Um, and also because like we haven't really talked about all this Ukraine bullshit, um, up to now. And I think this gives us sort of the most, uh, the weirdest entree <laughs> into that, uh, yet, you know?
3: Yeah, exactly. As you know, we love to just have the weirdest way to talk about things. So we waited for the right moment. And I think we really truly got. What we were looking for with this clip,
0: although, and I think, like, while I definitely, well, let's just say, you know, at, I've got a, a somewhat contrarian take, I think, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. you know, not not over, shocking to me, not <laughs> not overly so, not overly <laughs> so.
3: Yeah, I think what really stood out to me was the pure shock that this ex CIA State Department guy had for anyone in that press room to ask any type of follow-up question, yeah. any type of semblance of what journalists are supposed to do, which is ask for, I don't know, evidence when you make a claim, especially when you're part of the you know State Department who is making some pretty interesting claims. I mean, the fact that the reporter, I really love how he Kind of made the connection to crisis actors and like called, like tacitly called him Alex Jones. That was like a very funny moment. Yeah. But the pure, the pure shock of him to not basically think of the media as an essentially a PR machine for the state, which is how they're it kind of expected to operate at that time. But and how they do? Yeah, exactly. And they do. So I think for someone to. Kind of snap back into the role of an independent journalist instead of a PR mouthpiece for the state was just like very, uh, shocking. And I think, Greg, we can't be remiss to talk about why maybe reporters are a little more skeptical. Maybe it's inspiring some memories of something kind of similar.
0: I don't know. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, he does, he calls out, you know, WMD in Iraq. Um, you know, and then I, I guess the only other thing he could think of was, uh. you also said Kabul wouldn't fall, which I think is really fucking telling because this is a, you know, a career, you know, foreign affairs journalist who is, you know, yeah, uh, correctly incredulous about this sort of, you know, goofy, vague sort of uh, evidence and factless statement about you know, theoretical maybe plans that Russia is possibly concocting to do, like, a false flag attack, uh, blaming uh, Ukrainian forces. But, like, those are hardly the two fucking instances, the only fucking instances that the U.S. government, through the State Department or whoever, has fucking lied about everything in the world and spun all kinds of bullshit. And, like, that's why... Uh, Ned here, the 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 spook uh, spokesman, is, like, so sort of caught off guard and, you know, uh, out of his comfort zone because, like, yeah, this is how it works day in and day out. They, they put out whatever, like, you know, narrative little story they want at any given day. And the international, you know, the American, like, foreign affairs press, like, prints it and papers around the world, the fucking... Foreign policy and The Atlantic and The Economist. And so that's normal. So that's the first reason why, like, it's, yeah, the, he seems surprised. And, you know, he's getting a little defensive because he's like, why are you bothering with this bullshit? This is how these press conferences work. Yeah,
3: yeah, like we, exactly. I say a little
0: story. You print in your newspaper that I said a little story and you word it. And the headline is such that the impression is that this is a real thing that anyone should care about. That's how this works. That happens day in and day out. And, you know, this journalist, look, I don't, I'm not going to look up like this guy's history or whatever, but I, if I just had to take some guesses here, like the only thing he feels comfortable, um, referencing is the one big one that the entire media actually did, have to for five minutes pretend they were going to eat shit on and say like, well, yeah. uh, I guess there were no uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and you know, I'm who knows. I don't, I'm not going to look look up just you know do that much research to find out if this AP reporter like also, print, you know, wrote those kind of stories. Um, I mean, maybe he was one of the good ones. Maybe he's one of the guys who was working for Knight Ritter in uh, <laughs> 2003. I don't. I don't know. And then, you know, the other thing that is an agreed upon foreign policy disaster that is an agreed upon, like, fuck up by the Biden administration that all the intelligence, State Department and international press psychos all agree was this terrible thing that they all, you know, wanted to hang Biden over the the fall of Kabul.
3: How dare you end a war?
0: Yeah. And like and where's the rest? So I think that's a little telling. But I mean, that said. It is shocking, like you say, to see uh, the State Department guy, like, get so antsy and kind of accusatory, right?
3: Yeah, super defensive accusatory. Like, when the reporter said, but Ned, you haven't given any information. And then Mr. Price says, if you doubt the credibility of the U.S. government, of the British government, of other governments... And want to find solace in information that the Russians are putting out,
0: <laughs> and, Look, and and like the reporter know? is rightfully like flabbergasted by that, and he, la- he laughs at it, like, but also like is offended. Yeah. But, but the thing is, he goes on to say, "Well, I'm sure it is true, you know." So he's like, "So it's like, yes, that is a heinous thing for the State Department." To accuse a journalist of being like, uh, you know, but this is what they've been doing. They don't usually have to do it in the press in the press conferences, and the State Department doesn't usually have to do it directly. But anyone yeah. who has anyone in the international press who doesn't toe the line on fucking Russia and even Russia Gate on uh, Syria uh, on and then on on fucking Saudi Arabia on fuck what big like. Uh, webs of bullshit that the U.S. empire is spinning. If you in the as an international journalist like by which I mean like you know uh, uh, international affairs journalist want to like criticize any of those lines poke holes in them you get you get uh, dumped on by you know a bunch of other journalists around the world selling the the State Department line. Ned knows that Uh, he knows that (laughs) like and they're just sort of skipping a step here they're doing this this dance that usually like plays out on the fringes, not in the like not with journalists who can get into the briefings you know so I mean the question is then why is it happening in the briefing? yeah, and I mean, I think it's that some of these journalists are maybe growing a spine here because the Biden administration has taken this opportunity in Ukraine to sell to the world the idea that russia is actually going to invade uh to stoke this up around the world to scare the shit out of people also that when it doesn't so that they can demonize russia in their just whatever weird like cultish like program of russophobia they're all into in foggy bottom and that when it doesn't happen they and the biden administration can say oh look we we stood up to russia and uh, we prevented world war 3 meanwhile what they're actually doing by stoking all this stuff and threatening to send troops that what it looks like to most of the world quite legitimately and to even these journalists who are maybe growing the tiniest bit of spine and skepticism is it looks like they're stoking a fucking third world war you know yeah they're they're being very belligerent about um this whole situation, even as the Ukraine, certainly as the Russian government says, no, we're not going to war. Don't be ridiculous. The Ukrainians are saying, no, obviously they're not going to invade this whole time. And they're still stoking this, trying to, you know, for political gain, bring the world somewhat closer to a fucking nuclear exchange, which is just a, a sick and irresponsible thing to do. And I think that's the reason that these journalists are like have, have some kind of like instinct to push back on this and actually like bring up weapons of mass destruction when the State Department says, what, you don't believe me?
3: Yeah, the and these are journalists, again, these are journalists who are on their side. And so it
0: yeah. comes to the
3: point where journalists who are on their side are actively calling it out. Like it's even too far for the insider press to stand by. Because it could damage their reputation too if shit goes south. We saw what happened with Iraq, you know.
0: Yeah, and all like all journalists, they have this uh, idiotic like post uh, Watergate, post uh, Pentagon Papers like images themselves and their profession. Uh, as like noble or something and so like in the back of their minds they all have this thing like yeah yeah what i'm i'm supposed to do is when necessary speak truth to power or something (laughs) and then they just you know so on the in the back of this guy's mind he's probably has that thought and like this it just clicks for him in this second let's be
3: epic this is my moment
0: (laughs) yeah anyway that's my contrary take Fuck the state department and that dude but yeah Yeah. fuck journalists too
3: they're on the same page. It's egos that got out of hand and it made for accidentally made for a exposure of what the State Department actually thinks about the press. Uh yeah. Michael Parenti had a just like you kind of mentioned, Greg, Michael Parenti had a great quote about the press, especially the national security press and the foreign policy press being basically these stenographers of war and like where the US Empire stands on an issue and mm-hmm. that's the role that they're uh, supposed to play if tension if the US wants to go to war with a country you'll see it on the New York Times front page you'll see it on the Washington Post and if there there's tension settled down they go down right and that's mm-hmm. kind of how the US press works and uh breaking that is essentially an experienced journalist who is on the same side who wants to serve this guy but also wants to essentially knows how to slap that guy silly in a way by mm-hmm. basically breaking the breaking the norm and asking a follow up question as almost a fuck you, and he knew that it was a fuck you. You know?
0: Yeah. Look, I mean, no people in the in the room weren't asking these follow up questions all through the Obama administration's continuation of the forever wars through fucking the insane amount of like covert bullshit in Syria, including like actual, like the, there's a, an enormous amount of evidence that like the U S backed intelligence. Somebody did actual false flag attacks in Syria, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so false chemical attacks. Um, so anyway, um, that's the, uh, that's our foreign, our foreign policy segment uh, uh-huh, for the yeah. evening. Exciting well, stuff. Um, I guess, you know, on a scale of, uh, bags of popcorn, like how worried are you about nuclear war?
3: Um, I, you know, I, I and for bags of popcorn, are we talking about is five, like a high worry or like a party or like a low party? Like, are we eating popcorn when the nuclear war comes out?
0: Yeah. Hell yeah, we
3: are. Okay. Yeah. We're eating popcorn. Um I would say out of 5 I'd give it like a two popcorn. I don't really I, I I think the US knows it's kind of in terminal decline and is trying to flex its muscle and the fact that it they Russia is not immediately I think uh caving or the media narrative of Ukraine being this third entity that's not basically a satellite for a US base um is uh is going to get invaded by Russia. I think that usually in these contexts, this would go over a lot smoother and it would look like uh, the U.S. could just easily dictate terms on these things. But I think that we are kind of seeing this power slip a little bit. And I don't think that means war. I think it means... I personally think that it's just the U.S. trying to flex and they didn't think it would actually be this hard or drag out for this long. So I don't see the U.S. going to war with Russia uh, in the next week. But, you know, crazier shit (laughs) has happened. We almost went to nuclear war with Russia, (laughs) you know, when it was the USSR. Back in the early 60s, we almost went to war uh, Mm -hmm. for nuclear war almost bombed the shit out of each other and just almost by fluke, it didn't happen. Uh, You know, we've dropped nuclear weapons on countries before we dropped them on Japan in during the world war II. So uh, we bombed the shit out of countries before. So I had no doubt in my mind that we have the capacity and just like the pure evil country that we are, we would absolutely do some shit like that. But it seems like a big dick pissing contest, to be honest with you. Uh, and I hope that it just kind of stays that way because nuclear war would fucking suck. I don't want
0: that. Yeah, wouldn't be good. Luckily, at least as the Empire has set up their narrative for this, it would require Russia invading Ukraine, which means the ball's in their court, and thankfully, uh, they they don't want to do that. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah, it's all a bunch of bullshit. It's irresponsible and sick and cruel and evil, and in... Ultimately, the long term consequences of using, you know, these uh, satellite like border countries as like pawns and conflicts between great powers is that a lot of Ukrainians are going to get killed. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. they stoking here is something that, you know, may at some point in the next few years lead to a Ukrainian civil war or something. Um, but like, yeah, yeah. No, we're not going to go to war with Russia. They're not going to invade.
3: Anyway, no, no, I, as much as the U.S. would like to do that, because at the end of the day, war happens, whether it's World War One, World War Two, they happen because the imperial powers, because capitalism requires endless growth. When there's no more actual growth or new markets, you need to reshuffle the deck and essentially grab markets from other imperial countries. That's why World War I was just a war between Japan, France, Germany, the U.K., and the U.S., uh, amongst others, everyone wanted to reshuffle the deck, and it just happened that Germany was the aggressor. But everyone wanted to get in on it because if not, if there's no new land to expand into, if there's no new markets to expand into. You're in a crisis of capitalism, and that's what we're in right now. We are in a crisis of capitalism, which ultimately will lead to wars against other, uh, you know, global states. And you know that's one of the big reasons why a war happens is to expand your empire and expand capital to continue growth. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a, you know, war lightly because it comes from material conditions. And when you're in a crisis of capitalism, a global crisis of capitalism, uh war is usually the way it goes down. So don't write it off for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, it'll be America's fault if there is a, another world war yeah um uh yeah great well um maybe maybe they'll just nuke the moon or something so gotta
3: nuke something
0: (laughs) you know this week i think the thing to do is to bring it right back home to seattle
3: we're coming
0: home you know we've got a new administration a new council they're in their offices they're uh starting to stretch their legs. And, you know, one such person is uh the new city attorney, Ann Davison. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got some stories of uh the our Seattle's future plans for crime and punishment. Um this is interesting here, Munya uh, the journalist Dave Weigel uh was like live tweeting the uh, R, the winter RNC meeting, which sounds uh wow absolutely so hellish. Weird.
3: I bet David, out of all people, wants Bernie to run again so he could cover that instead.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and I guess uh, he said, yeah, he said on Twitter, uh, multiple RNC speakers touted the Seattle City attorney race as a GOP victory. So, like, oh, Ann's getting noticed. Whoa. Ann's getting noticed. This the is a big deal up. In the, the socialist Antifa hellhole, you know, a, a Trump Republican uh, tough-on-crime... Uh, first one was able to win elected office, uh, which, yeah, it's fucked up, folks. Amazing. So, okay, so this is some reporting in the Seattle Times. Uh, what? Some, just some hard-hitting news, just some shoe-leather journalism. Seattle's new city attorney to expedite prosecution decisions, focus on misdemeanors, comma, backlog by sarah grace taylor and you know what also Munya, for your pleasure this is another in our uh, interminable series possibly entitled restauranteurs shut the fuck up no one asked you (laughs) uh the first word of this uh article Munya, is literally restaurant oh my Um, goodness (laughs) restaurant owner olga sagan often walks home from one of her two restaurants in downtown Seattle. Okay, so this is a story about a wealthy small business tyrant. Okay, great. Awesome. We haven't in.
3: heard this in the local press before.
0: Nope, <sighs> not just last week. Uh, when I'm leaving this location, this would be the quick way to where I live, Sagan explained on the walk Thursday, but I don't walk down that part of Pike. That part of Pike is a stretch between 3rd and 2nd Avenues. A stretch. I think you mean a block. Yeah. The <laughs> there's, there's a word for that. <laughs> the stretch of this avenue between two adjacent streets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A block. <laughs> fucking dick. Uh, fucking moron. Um, it has a few ground-level businesses, such as a pharmacy and a Thai restaurant. Sounds like it's thriving. A block yeah. with a pharmacy and a time restaurant, cool. but there's also frequent graffiti, boarded-up storefronts. Oh re- no! <laughs> recurring litter and a steady crowd of people sitting or lying on the sidewalk. Oh dear. <laughs> What a moral failing of the city. <laughs> Sitting and lying on the sidewalk. That is actually, that's literally the legal terminology. You know, yeah. The implication is doing a crime under sit-lie laws. Yeah. <laughs> so Sagan, owner of Peroshki, uh demonstrated her route to and from work recently to newly elected Seattle City Attorney Ann Davidson, who wants to to prosecute misdemeanors more often and more quickly in attempt in an attempt to aid businesses and public safety so folks this is an article uh covering uh you know what the boomers would call a pseudo event uh, of <laughs> just just a a a press stunt of uh a a civil servant talking to a small business tyrant that that's that's what we're yeah. doing here yeah! Wow! Excited about learning about her uh, wanting to prosecute misdemeanors. Um, <laughs> Sagan's alternative route, which involves a longer stretch of third to get to Pine, adding about a block to her commute. <gasps> a block? Seriously, Not a block? How do they eat? How do they? How do they <laughs> even write this shit? Has uh, similar- I, I hate it. I hate it when I have
3: to. Uh, walk an extra block because I don't want to uh, take a slight
0: left around someone who's sleeping on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. God damn. <laughs> has similar. It has similar, even denser crowds. There's more trash and more boarded windows, but there's also more security, lighting, and businesses. It feels safer, but still, it's always drug use and people shouting at you whenever you walk, w- whichever way you walk. And that's why we close at 3 p.m. now. I don't want my employees here or leaving here after dark, Sagan explained, noting a string of break ins, drug sales, harassment, indecent exposure and similar episodes in and around her business at the market at Century Square. Uh, you run a fucking like a pronto pop shop. Do you ever eat those at school lunches? Uh, a pronto, pronto pop. It's like no. So, what is a... well? I don't know if this is a thing that exists anywhere else. I assume it is. I assume it came in like a food service truck. It was like a hot dog wrapped in dough and then boiled and baked like a bagel. Oh yeah. Oh god.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus. And
0: that's basically what Proshky Proshky surface some
3: like... violent memory there, man.
0: <laughs> um, it's not very good. Uh, it's you know it's uh, fairly bland. Uh, like. Like, I like meat and cabbage in a bun, but, like, there's nothing special about this place. They don't even, like, I, you know, I, I, I fucking hate it. Because, like, you go in and you get a Proshki and you're like, yeah, pork and cabbage or something. And they hand it to you and you, you ask for, like, a condiment, anything to eat with this this fucking bland shit. And they look at, they roll your eyes and like offer you the tray of like tiny mustard packets. That's it. Like, come on, give me like a, give me a selection of mustards or like some other exotic sour creams and sauces, some pickled shit. I don't know. Um, that, that's my one experience with Proshi Proshky, not impressed. Um, so, okay. It's the fucking winter. You, you have a restaurant like down adjacent to like the market. And like, yeah, you're closing at three. You're cr- it's a lunch crowd type of restaurant. Like, like, what are we talking about? It's yeah. winter. Like, could we think of any other reasons why restaurants downtown might be suffering? I don't know.
3: Yeah. I mean, sorry, but you're not closing at three because you don't want your employees leaving after dark. That is such a bullshit excuse. You don't give a fuck about your employees. Like safety after they get off the job, man. Like,
0: no. uh, you know, I'm sure if she heard us say that, uh, she would think it unfair, but here's the thing. Uh, we identify you with a class and we will, uh, tar you, uh, with its sins. Sorry. Mm, like, Sorry. uh, while her landlord has contracted private security since the Third Avenue location opened in 2019, Sagan says conditions have gotten worse, and m dash along with the pandemic m dash have caused her sales to plummet from 3,500 per day to three to four hundred per day. Everyone who works in the downtown core is working from home, and they have been for two years. No one wants to go into a restaurant. Blah blah blah. Like, come on! Every fucking restaurant in the country in the night, like, is having the same spot. But yes, a downtown restaurant—that's going to happen. My God, that's where the people are working from home. Like, we're working before. That was your lunch clientele. Yeah. This shit—it just never ends. They will. Uh, they will use the, <laughs> this, the crumbling of our society because of the pandemic to to say anything. Basically,
3: oh gosh, golly gee, these homeless people are causing my business to make only three hundred to four hundred dollars a day. Uh, in like very fast disclosure, pharmaceutical uh ad disclosure voice. And there's a global pandemic that is <laughs> killing
0: all of our yeah. customer base. Seriously. <laughs> and businesses can't operate unless someone does something about crime, she said, calling for stricter law enforcement. So, again, is what we us say it's like there's boarded up windows and like there aren't people, there aren't customers that are store. And we just said, yeah, it's from the pandemic. It, they even had to say in the article, like they always do in the Times. And it's like, but no, but let's call for stricter law enforcement. Uh, well, this, what, that's what why the, we do this why, podcast, just to why, remind you that this is what small fuck? business people are like.
3: Th- this is exactly what they're like. They just look on law enforcement. But what's so funny is that while her landlord has contracted private security, third Avenue location opened in 2019, Sagan says conditions have gotten worse. Why the fuck would you think that law enforcement would be any different than what private security is pulling off? Are you asking to just have sweeps like are, is, that obviously hasn't fucking worked for the city <laughs> up until now? I don't know why the fuck She's you think it's going to be any different rave. Basically, I mean, that's all you can conclude because you already fucking hired private security. and It didn't work. So you're obviously implying something different that the police have power to do that private security doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, like you said, Greg, is akin to a mass grave. Fuck yeah. this person.
0: So, law, stricter law enforcement. Davison says that's exactly what she wants to do. That's why I'm doing these tours with businesses. <laughs> I, I don't think I can keep that up. That's why I'm doing these tours with businesses, Davison said. Davison, who took office in January and has has visited downtown businesses to seek owners' input. I need to understand how I can use my office to help businesses and communities. The only people whose voices matter in this town and... and You got to respect the hustle like she is doing the politics. This is how local politics is done. You show up and you kiss the ass of the of the class of people who matter and be like, listen, I work for you. I need to know what what my job is. And the only way I'm going to know that is if you, uh, the petty bourgeois, tell me. Yep. Amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Skip ahead. We're going to do a change of course, Davison said Thursday. It's going to be deliberate and purposeful to start to change the timing of when a crime is committed and when we do our part to address it. I have no idea what that means. What? (laughs) Just skipping past that. um, Now we get, uh, I forgot to tell you, uh, a featured appearance by uh, my council member, Andrew Lewis. Nothing but respect for my
3: council member.
0: City County. Hey,
3: he still owes me a fucking game of Civ, by the way, this motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) In two years now.
0: Um, so you'll remember the last time we talked about Ann Davison and Andrew Lewis, it was when um the council had like done some basic, like practically procedural sunshine law thing where they passed this resolution to like require like a, a a a Uh, a faster timetable on like reporting statistics from the city attorney to the council just not just bullshit and she like made big political hay out of it to try and get on Fox News about how like oh she as a conservative woman was being like whatever total bullshit and he was like well golly I mean (laughs) uh, I think we should have an open dialogue and I hope she feels better about it you know just like yeah just, just ready to back down and kiss her ass let's see you know, and I predicted that would be the next four years. Let let's see let's see how he does here. Council member, city council member Andrew Lewis, who used to work as an assistant city attorney and whose who district, used to be a cop, <laughs> exactly, and whose district includes the troubled area of Third Avenue and much of Davison's focus, said Friday that aggressively prosecuting misdemeanors may not be the best atro- approach to addressing street safe- safety. Well, okay. I mean, he's got me okay. there. That yeah. is a very stupid approach.
3: That is a dumbass approach. Let's hear and it, So we're going to
0: quote Put the uh, dagger Andrew in Vare. the heart. Sweaty boy. Typically, everyone I'm talking to has been a victim of a horrendous and unacceptable crime. What? Oh, <laughs> God. What the hell? He's, he said of his efforts to address the same high crime areas, they've been... A victim of burglary or or organized retail theft. Oh, horrendous. That is such a a
3: horrendous, unacceptable crime is uh, stealing from fucking Macy's.
0: God. Which is a felony that needs to be addressed. So everyone he's talking to is a victim of a horrendous and unacceptable crime. Already like insane hyperbole. And then... Okay, what is it? Oh, it's burglary and the the mythical organized retail <laughs> theft, which I think he's <laughs> suggesting. Organized theft. He's suggesting, you know, because of the dollar amounts uh, and multiple people involved is like a is grand larceny plus RICO, I think. Is yeah. probably how he's saying he would prosecute it. Um, Lewis said he believes the city and law enforcement should focus on identifying larger organized crimes that spur some of the misdemeanors in Davison's purview. Uh So the misdemeanors, no, targeting those are stupid, but the misdemeanors are ordered by larger organized crime. Okay, I mean, like, like, uh, rather than repeatedly arresting low-level offenders on charges such as shoplifting, which are easily prosecuted, but carry little penalty. So, like, he's like, look, that's why we shouldn't. We shouldn't worry about, you know, double down on prosecuting misdemeanors because they don't carry a high enough penalty. We don't to get really to matter.
3: fleece and finesse these people enough to, to make it worth it.
0: What, what's so just just sort of sad about a, a liberal like. Um, a- Andrew Lewis is like, you're missing the point, dude, The only, the reason she's. Focusing on misdemeanors is because that's the that's all the fucking that's all her office can do. That's what she does. She can't prosecute felonies. You could say that. You could just identify this this shithead as a Republican and have some kind of spine. Later on, he goes on to say, like, look, a lot of this shoplifting and uh, you know, also the mis the shit lie mishigas and and the like mental health-related sort of disturbances are. Uh, like you know misdemeanors of survival and are caused by you know poverty he goes on to say this later in the article meanwhile he said all this tough on crime shit that undercuts that like he's playing yeah. in he's saying like look I just don't agree with this particular tactic of focusing of ramping up our misdemeanor prosecutions when he could address that just by saying like this batshit woman is saying this because that's all she can do um fuck you Andrew Lewis uh eat my okay. shit. Um you know uh there was a little more food just like to get some of the rest of the some other people in the council involved here. Um this is a tweet from uh and Davidson along with council member Sarah Nelson and council member Alex Peterson. hmm mm. Remember them? I visited the U district Bounchica last week. Wow. Wow. We, we, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, now I, uh, I, I'm not going to read anything into that. Uh, we met with community and business leaders to discuss the rising crime threats to public safety and our initial responses. Um, so, so just, you know, in case it's, case it's not abundantly clear, and Davison out here doing these walking, these uh small business tours. And who's out there with her? None other than Sarah Nelson and Alex Peterson throwing their lot in with the Trump Republican tough-on-crime new city attorney.
3: I yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> Is it really a surprise? I mean, those two, and the reason why I did I say that is, you know, I mean, I think that you know, Alex Peterson, Sarah Nelson, is kind of like a, it's a Mitt Romney and Kirsten cinema, you know.
0: Yeah. Alex I mean, Peterson has
3: never seen, never seen a woman like Sarah before. And it's and it's like <laughs> it's driving them, it's driving them mad.
0: Oh my God. Well, like fucking uh, you know, Sarah Nelson, this is her first, you know, this is her like, you know, she's at the end of month one in here. She came in saying she's a progressive Democrat and environmentalist, but you know, yes, we need to make the hard choices and like support our businesses. But like, you know, she could have chosen to stake out. A territory that was not where Ann Davison is. She could at least have chosen, right? Like the even like, you know, Andrew Lewis managed to chart what he thinks is a moderate path, right? And like you could say, like, look, the city attorney is a Trump Republican who's going on about prosecuting misdemeanors, which that's all she can do. But the point is, all these people are are even more psychotically conservative than like they led on in their elections which was bad enough you know mm-hmm. they think of themselves as liberals like uh, which is
3: insane I sarah mean, I, nelson it, it,
0: it, it. andrew lewis probably even fucking peterson okay and this is what that this is where they've come down on this
3: mhm yeah, well, I think that they intuitively know that their proximity to Trump Republicans is a lot closer than anywhere to their left at all. Yeah. You, yeah. Liberals and Trump Republicans really not too far off.
0: hmm Okay, so, of course, you know, we've also got a new mayor. Uh, Bruce oh, Harrell. yeah, I
3: almost forgot about that. Back
0: at it again, so...
3: What's he up to? <sighs>
0: Everyone is, I mean, I think the basic answer is like everyone's getting on the Ann Davison train. Um, Oh, wow. Like, this is a choice all these Democrats could have made, right? They have the political room here to say like, okay, this Trump Republican, we can chart our own tough on crime course, but like distance themselves from the Trump Republican. And well, that's not what they're going to do. Uh so this is from Como. Uh and the, just read some uh highlights out of this titled Queen Anne businesses moving out of Seattle because of crime concerns.
3: Oh my god. I mean just Hon-
0: stop the stop
3: it here, you know? I mean yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean Greg, you you're 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 District 7, you know, Queen Anne is the, I'm is, on Queen is Anne. your is your hood. Uh what 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 type of crime is happening in Queen Anne?
0: Domestic abuse. Okay. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of
3: cops in Queen Anne. Go on.
0: <laughs> yeah, um uh, you know, tax fraud. Uh-huh. Uh yeah, probably some some light bribery, um <laughs> like, you know, real estate fraud, uh <laughs> Uh, building code uh, violations yeah yeah. Um, I was about to say building code wage, violations wage theft coming <laughs> out the ass Fucking that's the fucking crime that's going on in Queen Anne Mary, uh,
3: this, uh, violations of maritime law
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well I'm doing that uh, I'm committing the maritime crimes yeah um, so I'm docked up to Queen Anne so I, I do walk up the hill uh, to the neighborhood we're talking about here so uh line, seattle Ooh. one local business owner is so just one just one, one. <laughs> Is so fed up with crime, she is moving her business out of Seattle. In oh, Seattle no. Mayor Bruce Harrell said Thursday he agreed something must be done to protect people and property. So, and I, pro- I, emphasis on property. Yeah, like and well, the people he means is the property owners, yeah. Who the businesses. Also, that's just like we've moved from the Seattle Times to Como, and like the quality of like right, like that was a single run-on sentence. Um, yeah, like they didn't even, they wanted to get the mayor in there as well. Okay, Harold said he had a plan will, will be put in place. Harold said a plan will be put in place, but for business owners like Debbie Franz, it's too late. It's not the Seattle I knew, Franz said. It's not the Seattle I love. It's not the Seattle I grew up with. Oh. Oh. A bit of taste, Queen Anne Olive Company. That's, that's the name of the business we're that, talking that's about. That's the business name? A Bit of Taste, Queen Anne Olive Company. Oh, my uh, God. fucking mouthful and a, a bit of taste. A bit, referring to a place that's, I mean.
3: A bit of taste.
0: I, I, okay. Um,
3: so I'm, not, I'm not really like hungry for olives or olive oil right now. That, that that just doesn't ring off the tongue you know no
0: well you well, we're gonna find out exactly the nature of this place so first of all a fucking olive oil store fuck you a bit of taste Queen Anne Olive Oil Company will be closed in the neighborhood by summer Franz is moving the store to continue business in Snohomish so yeah right for those of you so like for those of you who don't know Snohomish Snohomish is a cute little old town <laughs> oh, with a little antique shit. district downtown that has a bunch of like antique and gift shop stores. Um, they also have a public restroom that they're committed to uh, maintaining, which you know is almost like their like their flex, you know, yeah, because it's that's how good they are at keeping out the riff raff. That they're like, yeah, we can have a fully open public restroom that you can take a shit in. 24 hours a day and keep it completely clean. It's like it's old timey and everything um, because like we don't allow homeless people within the city limits and our population is 99.9% white. Um, Jesus. So I got, I get very emotional about it because I care about people and I care about my business. We know Fran said, I care about my customers and I care about my city I would. Whenever say I to hear city a small le-
3: business owner get emotional, I just think of them uh, saying it in a Jordan Peterson
0: voice. <laughs> I care about my customers and I care about my city. <laughs> I would I would say to city leadership, get your act together. <laughs> I think about what a community needs and what you need to do to support your businesses. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awful. Okay, so let's just like. Uh if we go to the webpage for uh a bit of taste here we i you find like okay what do we got here shop Mmm, okay mm. we've got Tuscan herb olive oil lemon okay. olive oil uh basil olive oil it's just a a, a shop for like gift buying like tacky flavored olive oils for like like way over way overpriced what are are the prices looking like so like they have 34 different olive oils Jesus Christ 200 milliliters that's that's small less than a quarter liter yeah is $15 so this is very expensive olive oil holy shit I mean if you usually buy it okay the large they don't even sell it in the liter the 750 is $35 okay so and it's it's tacky like flavored olive oil it's for tourists and like and bumpkins who like come in from the country and are like wow i'm gonna buy a fancy olive oil to give as a gift or something and uh who don't know that you can actually just buy like good and even expensive if you want to pay the money at a grocery store so you get this tacky shit and that's Mm. gonna go down perfectly in snohomish okay that's exactly what snohomish is for is shit like this yeah um meanwhile She's complaining about fucking crime on the literally on the top. It's not, she's on Queen Anne, just off Queen Anne Ave on the top of Queen Anne. The top. Literally the okay? hill.
3: We're like, <laughs> it's the not the rest
0: of the fucking hill
3: <laughs> where you can see the whole skyline. It's like the quietest place. Uh This is the opposite. It's funny. You could just it's proof that you can just say shit. No matter yeah. if you're on fucking third and pike or if you're on the fucking top apex of queen anne where like you know uh like you said wage theft and tax evasion are probably the two biggest crimes that are happening over there
0: yeah i understand harold said these are entirely so again like this is just very badly written this is just like a quote from a press conference that they're not really telling you about i understand Harold said these are intolerable intolerable conditions that they're being asked to operate their businesses in they are sometimes taken for granted yeah yeah we take mm. small business people for granted in this yeah. country they are not safe their employees are not safe their inventory is being taken and we will not just their not tolerate that.
3: being taken
0: yeah people are shop going in and shoplifting the big like steel jugs of uh self-serve uh, overpriced. Uh tacky olive oil. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, like what?
3: Hot commodity for people to get. I mean, the resale value on StockX and Grailed and uh eBay must be just going crazy.
0: Yeah. Their inventory is being taken, and we will just not tolerate that in Seattle. Uh so Harold said plan his said a plan will be put in place to address police staffing levels. But also, to address community organizations that he said could be doing more to help the city, he is pleading patience among the growing number of frustrated residents, obviously, just complete bullshit article. this kind we've seen a hundred times this it'll in never the end. The whiniest group of people in the world, owners of small businesses, will continue to do what they do best um maybe hopefully more of them will continue to leave um you know, yeah, I, can, I mean,
3: I, I like this. Tra- I like this trend of the small business tyrants having the chuggy fucking olive oil leaving the city. It's yeah, probably a net positive.
0: Seriously, I, you know, I, I'm sure there are plenty of fucking people in this city who would like to open a shop who don't have this attitude toward like Michigan's crime and homelessness mm-hmm. uh, that don't have the access to the capital to do it. Facts. Um, uh, that takes us to press conference that uh, Harold gave uh, about uh, his, you know, future crime plans on Friday. And I've got some quotes here uh, from um, um, my Northwest article. Mayor Harold says, I have directed Chief Diaz to focus his efforts on those places in our city where crime is concentrated, disrupting the lives of people who live and work there. Uh, you know, to that, uh, Diaz, uh, responds, we will continue to work with our community partners to prevent crime in neighborhoods. We're deploying all resources to hotspots, including patrol community response and detectives to address and drive down crime. That's interesting. Uh, where crime is concentrated hotspots. So my Northwest summarizes that. They mention uh, 12th Avenue in South Jackson in Little Saigon um, as an example of a place where the city needs to reform its crime response. And it was a common thread on Friday as the mayor, as Mayor Harrell and Chief Diaz clarified what hotspot patrols would look like moving forward. We have another set of hotspots that we're looking at, 12th and Jackson being one of them, where we're deploying our levels of resources throughout, blah, blah, blah. That's Diaz. Hotspots, Munya. That's the plan. Hotspots. Uh-huh.
3: I I mean, I love to love to have a I, can, I hope we have like a heat map of this shit, you know?
0: Oh, you like, know, they got heat maps, Munya. Oh, um, man. As basically everyone in this town has pointed out literally for and against like I'm everyone has said, including in in my Northwest here, which is, you know, not, not exactly a, uh, <laughs> you know, a soft on crime publication, yeah. um, has pointed out that this sounds or, or is at least very unclear how this is different from the emphasis patrols that the Durkin administration rolled out in 2019 mm-hmm. or the nine and a half block strategy that, uh, Scott Lindsay rolled out as public safety guy in the disgraced uh, Ed Murray administration, fucking ten years ago. Um, I, I, think, I want to say it's like 2013. Um, that's what he's got. Even to the even to like the tough on crime crowd, it's kind of like you, you got to be kidding me, right? Like that's yeah. that's just that's what every new mayor comes in and does and says, right? Like yes, there appears to be places where. Lots of crime is happening again, like we know that's because you know it's where like uh small business people are reporting it because they're pissed about it and where cops yeah. are criminalizing people. But you know, um, but this is what every mayor does, uh, you know, all these previous times. Again, another thing everyone's pointed out is that when they've done these things in the past, they have worked when they've just swarmed like small areas with cops. And busted every thrown the book at everyone for anything they can in that area, and then what the effect is to just, yeah, okay, you you get some prosecutions in like you're doing any, anyway, and you just drive whatever was happening there, whatever crimes were going down, whatever misgasss to whatever drug deals, to just a, a few blocks over to the next like section over. That's what's happened every time before. Right. So, I mean the question is like I mean is this really going to be I mean it's it's not like a fucking mystery why hot spots are the answer to these people like it's the answer's got to be more police, more arrests, more sentencing, higher, you know, public safety by uh enforced like, you know, jackbooted security. And why concentrate in specific areas? Because it Allows the government to fulfill its function in the eyes of the only people who matter, the fucking small business tyrants who have been complaining like, ah, there's all these uh, uh, unwashed cretins outside my store. There's there's people shooting up. Uh, I'm losing all my customers due to that and uh, the pandemic parenthetical. Um You have to come down here. And so they set a hotspot. They're like, look, we're responding to you. You're who matters. So we're going to show up with all these cops. And then we will know and you will know and the cops will know that they work for you. And so you can waddle out of your store and (laughs) point at a cop and wriggle your finger and get him to come over and point at who you want to have like tossed out of the neighborhood. And that will shut them up. That will like satisfy the need to have that's what these people believe right they believe we own the city we are the reason for the city government to exist is to facilitate us doing business and and this is we and we want the most literal application of that uh for us to live out more more than really to like for their businesses it's it's a a power they want to enjoy
3: yeah no 100% I mean, you nailed it, Greg. Like, it's
0: it,
3: These guys are just so predictable. And the fact that even the tough-on-crime people are just kind of raising eyebrows, I mean, I think just says so much. So, yeah. I mean, that shit that shit fucking sucks. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not surprised by it. And I can't even really even get riled up by this shit because it's just like what we've been saying was going to be happening. And they've been saying to us from the jump that this was... This is who they are. So, I mean, fucking reap what we should sow, you know? I don't know.
0: Uh, Harold later, having dodged uh, questions about like how this, what this really means and how it's different from uh, emphasis patrols and everything else that's gone before, says, I think anyone that's been around Seattle knows that we have some very troubled areas. These are what I will call valid policing. St- Valid police strategies, Harold said.
3: I wonder what Harold thinks is an invalid police strategy. I'm curious.
0: Well, you know, I think he made it very clear that the murder of George Floyd was naughty Mm. in his mind. Though Mm. he has, as of yet, not forced the entire Seattle police department to watch the nine minute video. Uh, nor has he for, as far as I know, actually thrown the many pizza parties for not killing anyone.
3: I mean, that was a campaign promise. What the fuck
0: promises made promises broken.
3: Oh, hate it.
0: The mayor well, they call impl-
3: it politics, but, uh, you know, I call it politics.
0: <laughs> so he doesn't want to specify like specific hotspots at this point beyond the one that they were focusing on, which was a uh, little Saigon. The mayor implied that he is leaving that information deliberately opaque to satisfy a, quote, surprise element of policing. What? Unquote. I mean, if the idea to concentrate on these places, if the idea of whatever, I'm not, what's the point of getting into, like, an argument about deterrent? It's like, no, I mean, they want to arrest. Their idea, Scott Lindsay's idea, he's the guy behind this, and Tim Burgess, who's the director of strategic, uh whatever, Uh, you know, this is his shit. So a surprise element of policing, unquote, and that his strategy is predicated on Mark Kleinman's 2010 book, When Brute Force Fails, How to Have Less Crime and Less Punishment. I'm very cognizant of working with defense lawyers, he said. In criminology work, there's a part of a surprise element often. There's often a part where you are resetting community norms. Director of Strategic Initiatives, Tim Burgess, just gave me a book many years ago that I read, When Brute Force Fails. So this is Tim Burgess's whole, like, take, you know, ex-cop Tim Burgess, ex-council member, now director of Strategic uh, Visionary um, Bad Trips. So this is this book out by Princeton University Press. I tried to ask, you know, Brian didn't respond to find out if he has read this, but... um, I just want to read the abstract here for you. When Brute Force Fails explains how we got into the current trap and how we can get out of it to both cut crime and the prison population in half within a decade. Mark Kleiman demonstrates that simply locking up more people for lengthier terms is no longer a workable crime control strategy. But, says Kleiman... There has been a revolution, largely unnoticed by the press, in controlling crime by means other than brute force and incarceration, substituting swiftness, swiftness and certainty of punishment for randomized severity, concentrating enforcement resources rather than dispersing them, communicating specific threats of punishment to specific offenders, And enforcing probation and parole conditions to make community corrections a genuine alternative to incarceration. As climate shows, zero tolerance is nonsense, and there are always more offenses offenses than there is punishment capacity. But it is possible and essential to create focused zero tolerance by clearly specifying the rules and then delivering the promised sanctions every time the rules are broken. Gobbledygook fucking gibberish what we need is policing and incarceration and that's what it's going to solve these problems just in a diff just in a like i've got one weird trick there's just a different way and you can tell this is where scott Lindsay's fucking hundred repeat offenders list from seattle is dying comes from right like this is like this shit where they're like oh what you have to do is target it more it's like you have to do surgical police strikes you know where you find like the worst people and lock them up, so theoretically you can let a bunch of other people out of prison. Like, this just sounds like fucking nonsense to me. Um, so that's what you have to look forward to, Seattle. Yeah,
3: great. I mean, awesome things ahead here, you know. It's just a really cool path that we're going down. Good
0: times. <sighs> well, folks. A lot more
3: content for us to have. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, guys want a silver lining.
3: Yeah, we might have to just inflict psychic damage on ourselves and do a reading series or something.
0: Oof. Yeah, Monia. Hope you've had a good week. Uh, It's been good potting with you.
3: Yeah, thanks. I'm excited to go on my ski trip. I'm going to Whistler. Going back to the Pacific Northwest. You already know. Going to Canada gotta find a PCR test tomorrow man these Canadian guys are not gonna let me in so you know trying to do what I do but I haven't been to Whistler since 2010 so it's gonna be really I hope it's gonna be great Uh, I I can't wait to snowboard the mountains are ass over here so you know it's just I can't wait to get back to the to the motherland of snow
0: wow skiing at Whistler what's next the $200,000 Porsche (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> coming soon hey, subscribe. <laughs> On that note, subscribe to our fucking uh patron so we can uh so we can achieve my dreams of getting a two hundred thousand dollar Porsche
0: I I can't believe I'm about to start talking about this because like I don't I barely know who this Hassan person is <laughs> um And I actually, maybe even on this podcast, defended the house purchase because like I was like, come on, people, it's not a mansion. It's like a suburban home in suburban (laughs) Los (laughs) Angeles that's been recently remodeled and staged to look like a magazine. And I think it's weird that a young guy, you know it wants to buy like a six bedroom house that the only yeah. use of which is to raise a family, <laughs> but like yeah, when, you've got the the bag, guy, yeah. when you've got the bag in capitalist society, like, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's inevitable. You're going to take care of yourself in basic human, human sustaining ways, like, like securing a home. And yeah, is it insanely priced? And like, is it also an investment? Cause that's how we've organized. That's how America has organized, um, home ownership. Yeah. But whatever, like, I mean, I think it was more just like, like lame, like ch- a chuggy choice. He's a little chuggy to get like
3: a $200,000 Porsche. Like, but no, I don't no, know, but I mean, man. that's
0: what I mean. Like, I was talking about the house, but the Porsche, like. Not it is. That's very lame. This this guy. This is this. I mean, (laughs) on some level, to be this famous and to be making that much money, someone's got to think he's cool, right? Like, isn't that part of it? Oh yeah. That is the the hugiest shit I've ever heard. That is like (laughs) that's some boomer ass shit. That's some boomer like (laughs) midlife crisis shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To buy an super expensive fucking supercar. To buy a two hundred thousand dollar Porsche is also beyond being lame is what people were trying to make the house thing out to be, which is evidence of a disconnect from reality and humanity. Unless it's some kind of like Borat style prank where he's going to like crash it as a (laughs) gag or something or like, like Ram a Tesla or something. I don't fucking know. Like that is like, like that man's like on another planet gone, like a $200,000 on a car. Fuck off. Yeah, I don't
3: know. I mean, he, he, his Twitch streamers make a lot of money. They make a lot of money for Twitch. This guy make pulls in like probably ten million a year or something. Like, you know, I don't know. It's, well
0: that's yeah. The money's got to go somewhere. That's capitalism. Yeah, yeah. got to go fucking somewhere at that point. If, if it's your dream to
3: have a Porsche, like whatever, man. Like, I
0: mean, I don't get know. God, like that's a supercar. You have to drive it every six hours and have it tuned up every week. Like. Like you can't. I just didn't think that Hassan is like a big guy. You know, he's like
3: uh, he looks like the. If you ever seen the Lil Pump and Kanye video, uh, the the I Love It music video, where they're like big and blocky. You know, like they look like a fucking Minecraft character. That's kind of like Hassan, you know. So I didn't even think he'd fit in a Porsche, low key.
0: If I was rich, I might get like a vintage Porsche, but I I don't know what those cost. They probably are insanely probably expensive a little too. More. You know, but again, but actually, those are too small for me too. I've I've been in like an OG like
3: Porsches uh, Vol- are Volkswagen,
0: small. Volkswagen, yeah, Porsche, yeah, and, yeah, uh,
3: like a nine eleven type I, shit.
0: I, yeah, you can't even I can't even fit in that shit. But um, yeah, you know, but like an old weird car, I can see, and I could see if you're just like money is just like pouring out of your ass, and you can't figure out what else to do. With it, yeah, treat yourself with one weird oh, it, thing that you're gonna use as a car, like vintage Aston Martin or some shit like that. I could be cool. Weird, like like. But, like, I would know ne- I, I I don't know, even if I was rich, I don't think I could spend more than 20 grand for a car. I, that would hurt. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just yeah, a cheapskate. But, like, but you know, not, it does in, destroy your brain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Money's reason why go you somewhere. can't imagine
3: it is because your your brain hasn't been destroyed. Yeah. Yet.
0: It hasn't been fucking polluted. And you, you can talk all day about, like. A, a morality or a system for like distributing your wealth like whatever it's a. am just saying that's fu- it's fucking weird and lame like just as a person like it sounds, like sounds like yeah. a sounds like a himbo <laughs> and a dork like that's a, yeah. that's a dorky thing to do that's, yeah. like, that's, the, that's fucking like Redmond developer dweeb shit yeah, like, yeah. like you know you know the type Monia. Oh, of course I do you know yeah. the type the type who like have been in it a while and are making the crazy money, yeah, um, and go out and buy like a Lotus, you know. Oh yeah, yes, yes. The Lotus guys. Ma- oh no, no, my a god, fucking, the McLaren guys. Yeah, the McLaren guys are the best.
3: Oh my god,
0: Lotus um, and
3: the McLaren guys. Those are very specific type of guys.
0: Yeah, going out and buying race cars, you know. Yeah, that they that they then like. like well this is my hobby now i have to go to the track and get yelled at by like a a driving coach yeah um yeah every weekend you know and like and my like baggy carpenter jeans you know
3: (laughs) yeah and like
0: 1999 yeah the carpenter jeans and like the kirkland
3: branded off-brand new balances that they're rocking
0: yeah cool man all right I, I'm sorry we debased ourselves by even talking about that story. We're not going to talk about. I mean, God, we talked about Rogan last week too, a little bit, didn't we?
3: we didn't well, I it. think we did. Yeah, yeah, we okay. did. Well, I'm sorry, I'm just everybody. Keeping in touch with the culture, with something for everyone on this podcast, and that's, yeah, that's what right. really matters. We're All right. A treat at the end.
0: Well, um, that's it. Check, uh, you know, check out your uh, ending the myth for the week. Uh, exciting yeah, yeah. Stuff.
3: Oh man, it's, please check it out comp- because we had, we had, um, there was some audio issues. So if you, like a lot of people were waiting for it on Sunday and when it dropped, uh, when it dropped, uh, we had a mess up and the audio was actually, uh, different. We, it was just a replay of episode 12. So if you're wondering like, Oh, like why, how come this is like the same thing that I heard two weeks ago is cause it was so. Just delete that episode and you know replay it. Uh, if you're on Spotify, I'm sorry because Spotify is very uh, finicky, but it should still work. But we have the right episode out now. Uh, I really think it's a great, great episode, so you don't want to miss this one. We cover um, our Palm Dutts book, uh, Fascism and Social Revolution, talk all about like how fashion, uh, fascism actually comes into being I think it's a really great discussion and, uh, you know, uh, keep it on. So, yeah, please uh, tune in to episode 14 of Ending the Myth.
0: Yeah, uh, I sure will. Okay. Uh, Good night, everybody. Good night.